There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey fam, before this new episode of Last Drinks, why not jump online and order yourself some sparkling tea from budsandbeads.com.au. Buds and Beads Sparkling Tea, where every bubble tells a story. And don't forget to use the code LASTDRINKS20. This will give you 20% off your order. You're welcome. It's time for another episode of Last Drinks, a podcast where we have conversations for the sober and the sober curious, hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hello, fam bam. We are a week away from Christmas. I hope that your elf on the shelf has found a dust-free spot to settle. I hope that the stockings are going to be full. I hope that the cheer will be high and that you will be sober. That is my Christmas wish for you. Um, This conversation on the podcast today is so gritty and very confronting. I am chatting today with Tiana Wakeley. She is a beautiful and proud Aboriginal woman who works in Aboriginal health in New South Wales. She specifically works in drug and alcohol counselling and she does a phenomenal job helping people with addiction. Tiana's story about why she decided to stop drinking for good earlier this year is really full on. She's been so generous and vulnerable in our conversation and I wanted to mention before we get to the conversation that during our chat we do discuss suicidal thoughts. Now if that topic is something that is going to be too much for you, maybe this conversation isn't the one for you to listen to today and I completely respect that. I also wanted to make a mention of the first national crisis support line for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. This is being created and it is available 24 hours, seven days a week. So if you or someone you know are feeling worried or no good, you are encouraged to connect with 13YARN, 13926. It's 24 hours, seven days a week, and you will be connected to an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander crisis support person. So this is for our beautiful Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community who now have an opportunity to yarn without judgment and are being provided with a culturally safe space to speak about their needs and their worries all their concerns and I think that this is such a wonderful service that is available and I was really keen to help Tiana get the word out there about 13 Yarn. If you are in a crisis you can also call Lifeline on 13 11 
14. With that said, I hope you are well and safe. I hope you are healthy and I hope that you are kicking along on your sobriety curiosity or your sobriety journey and that um, you're in a good space today. I really want you to enjoy this conversation. There's so much gold in there. Take away what you will and enjoy last drinks with the really beautiful and just golden hearted Tiana Wakely. I want to ask you straight out of the gates to tell me about your last drink. Sure. Um, so I actually had to go way back through my phone um, to find out what day I actually had my last drink because it was sort of one of those things that I was like, I never want to think about it again. Um, wow. But to, if I was to do that, then, you know, I wouldn't be able to look at how far I've come. So um, I'm pretty sure it was the 11th of February uh, this year was the last time I had a drink. So a little over nine months ago, which is massive. Um, and basically I'd gone out, I live in Newcastle now. Um, previously I lived in Dubbo, but I'd gone out with one of my friends and I'd noticed a couple of times before my last drink that when I'd gone out, I'd been really aggressive. And I was like, who is this person? Like, I'm not an aggressive person. Like, don't get me wrong, I'll stand up for myself, but you know, like I'm the fun person who's bouncing around the pub, like happy go lucky, like chilled as anything. And last few times I was like, what's going on? Like, I'm so angry. Anyway, I was at the pub and this bloke had, that I knew had come up to me and we'll sort of just like, I guess like having a bit of banter and I'd said something that probably pissed him off. Anyway, he sort of shoved me and I just saw red and I remember having this disgusting. I just smeared off double black in my hand, filled with like raspberry cordial. And I've just looked at him and just squeezed the can in his face. And I was like, as soon as I did it, I was like, what did I do? Like the guilt and like embarrassment and stuff I felt, I was just like, I'm not this person. And I left the pub. I went home. I cried. I laid in bed and like woke up next morning. I was like, I actually need to change this. Like, I can't be going out and doing this anymore. Like, why am I so angry? Anyway, so I downloaded the, it was an app that just was called Quit Drinking. Um, and I downloaded it probably like three weeks before that. And, you know, I quit every weekend and, you know, ended back up on it and reset the timer again. And, and I looked at this app and I I was like, I just need to set this timer and I need to start it. Like, I, I can't keep pushing it back and back and back. So I sort of, I didn't really tell many of my mates because, you know, I, I'd quit drinking a million times before and you know I always ended up back on it and you know I'd go to the local and I'd have one and next you know it's like 1am and you're straight back into that routine mm-hmm. so I don't really tell too many people um and it got I'd gotten past my first week and I was like all right seven days down it's been hard but I've done it. it's a week like I can do I can do this it's easy mm-hmm. anyway got into my second week heading into the weekend remember I rang my mum and my sister and I was moving into a new place and I was going to get all the furniture from my sister's old house. And, you know, I rang my sister and she, she hadn't organized it yet. And I didn't realize how bad I was aching for a drink that when she, when I rang her, she was like, Oh, I haven't organized anything yet. And it just snapped again back to like this aggression, like just snapped and I screamed at her and she hung up on me, which understandably. Mm. Um, and I was like, she, no, she should have organized this. And I was so angry and I 
I didn't think at the time, like, you are aching for this alcohol and you can't have it. That's why you're so angry and you, you know, everything's going wrong in the world. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I rang my mum and I was like, mum will back me up. Like, you know, I rang my mum and I, I can't tell you what she said to me, but it was, it was something that had like triggered me. And she'd stuck up for my sister when looking back at it now, completely justified. You know, I had, was just so on edge that everything at that time was, you know, making me so angry. Mm. Anyway, so my mum was sort of like backed my sister up and I snapped. And I don't remember the conversation I had with my mum and, and I just felt so awful after it. But basically, I just started screaming at her. And by the time, it was like I'd blacked out. And by the time I sort of like came back to, she'd hung up on me, which completely justified. Mm. And I remember just kneeling on the side of my bed, like screaming and crying. And I was like, oh my God, what did I just say to my mum? And like, I know for sure that I definitely swore at her. And I, I hated that. I hated the thought that I just completely disrespected my mum and, you know, and I disrespected my sister and just blown up at them over something so minor. Mm. And I hadn't told them. I hadn't told any, like anyone really that I'd quit growing. And I messaged my mum and sister. I sent this massive message. And I was like, look, I was like, this is not an excuse, but, but this is what's going on. I was yeah. like, I've quit alcohol. You know, I'm really struggling at the moment. Like, I don't remember what I said, but I know I probably said some really awful stuff. Like, I love you guys. And you don't have to talk to me now. You don't have to talk to me ever again because I don't know what I said, but I know it was awful. Mm-hmm. Um. I said, so, you know, but I just wanted you, you to know, like, this is what's going on and I'm really struggling at the moment. Anyway, it was like a few days and I never pressured them to message me and stuff. And then, you know, they sort of reached out. And from that first message of me being vulnerable and being like, you know, I, like I'm struggling at the moment, I quit alcohol. Still to this day, like my mum and sister are probably two of the most supportive people. Um, and I think that's because, you know, they've seen, they've seen my issue with alcohol from a, a fairly young age. So. Yeah, that was probably my last drink and it was the best thing I've ever done in my life, I think, and the hardest. It is hard. And you've touched on some really key things here. Like the first thing is it's all good and well to recognise and have the awareness of alcohol not working for you as an individual and to make a decision to not drink alcohol, but you absolutely need a cheer squad. Like you need, yeah. you need support and as much as we love to put our superhero cape on and go, I got this, it's my issue and I'm going to overcome it, you need, you need reserves behind you. You need people to call in those dark and vulnerable confronting moments that you will inevitably have when you're facing stuff about yourself and I think that that is what, one of the biggest challenges is for people when they decide that they're going to give up alcohol is it's actually not about alcohol so much. It's about what you've been using alcohol to mask or to avoid. And when the alcohol isn't there, then the pain stares you in the face or the anger bubbles up from within and will get triggered by something else or somebody else and that's when you have to go okay let's not lean into alcohol let's actually now that we're aware of what's going on in my body and in my brain let's you know try and find some other tools and have some support around actually pushing through what's really going on for me 
So in this really critical and huge nine months for you that you haven't had alcohol, have you been able to or have you done any work on figuring out what you're so angry about or what was what was that um, that rage bubble inside of you? Have you had a chance to really, I guess, unpack that? Yeah, for sure. So I, so I'm going to go back a little bit. Please. When I was, um, when I first turned 18, so it was 2015, um, October 2015, I turned 18, you know, I'd been drinking alcohol since I was 16. I lived in a small sort of country town and, you know, that was the thing you did. You went to your backyard parties. You bought, I think back in the day, I used to scab $50 off my parents for pizza and it was like a 10 pack of Summers Beside, I was 20 bucks. A uh, pack of JPS Blues were 20 bucks. And then you had $10 left over for Maccas. So, you know, we, we budgeted well when we were 16. What a but great night such... out. Pardon? What a great night out. I know. Or in, I get... rather. Yeah, true. So it started from sort of a younger age. But, um, you know, in 2016, so I was fresh 18. I ended up going on holidays with my family. You know, as we do when you're on holidays, you you know drink a fair bit of alcohol and things like that. But while we were over there, I got a we got a phone call that one of our family friends had died, and you know it was really sad and things and pretty heartbreaking. And then because um, we didn't have much service on the boat we were on, because we were on a tiny little island. Anyway, the only place we could get service was at the dive shop. And I remember the next day after we just found out our friend had passed away, we came back into the dive shop. We'd already been drinking, you know, having like a really fun day because there was only three of us cousins on the boat. So we're like, let's take full advantage of this. We got back to the dive shop and I remember sitting there and my, I opened my phone and I was scrolling through Facebook and I was like, this isn't funny. Like, what's going on? And I was like, this is weird. Anyway, a message popped up from one of my best mates and I just read it and went, what is going on? And then I got another message and another message and I just put my phone down and burst into tears. And my mum was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, Eddie's gone. And she was like, yeah, like he passed away. Yes, I said, no, no, no. I said, mum, like my Eddie's gone. And I had to find out through Facebook and through text messages and things like that, that my best friend had just died. Um, and I was overseas at the time as well. So that was the start of my 2016. Oh, I'm yeah, so, so sorry. That's okay. I couldn't sit here and tell you this story from years ago because it broke my heart. Um, but that happened. I got back to Australia. I moved to Canberra two days later. So I moved away from home. I think it was maybe like a week after that I had to come back and go to my best mate's funeral. And then, you know, time went on through the year and then I fell in love for the first time, had my heart completely shattered at 18, like, oh my life's over you know I'll never fall in love again sort of thing oh my god I remember my first heartbreak and I thought I was going to die I honestly was I did I was like this is unmanageable the pain that I feel from this dickhead (laughs) yeah that's it and then you know this and then within a few months after falling in love for the first time my grandma nearly died so she got meningococcal pneumonia and it just got to the end of 2016 in November and I rang my mum and I said you need to come and get me and this was out of the blue like I hadn't told her I was in a ring I just said you need to come and get me and she was like what's going on and I said if you don't come and get me I said I won't be alive in six months mm-hmm. and I basically put a timer on my own life because I knew I was so mentally unwell so sure enough my beautiful mum 
the next day was in Canberra with the car. My sister was with her and they basically packed my entire life up and moved me home. Um, and then, you know, so that, that was probably the, I think the hardest year of my life starting from January and ending in right up to November. Like it was just a year of grief and heartbreak and, and all these awful emotions. And the one thing I did was drink nearly every night. Like it was a bottle of wine nearly every night, you know, on a weekday. And then if it was a weekend, it was binging like, like my, my 19th birthday. I'll tell you what, I'm an engineer, but I made a beer bong that could fit three stubbies in it. And back then I was like, this is awesome. Like, how good is this? I can sink three stubbies in one mouthful. Wow. But I look at it now and I'm like, I was ingesting three standard drinks at a time. I thought that was the most cool thing in the entire world. And it was actually so dangerous when you think back about it now. Like, I didn't know just do one in that night. It was a few. Anyway, so time went on. I moved back home. Um, I was really tired. I was sleeping like 14 hours a day. Turns out I picked up glandular fever. So you've got someone who's heartbroken, who's grieving, who's got glandular fever, who's got a drinking problem. It's just chaos. It's just awful. And I remember going out Anzac Day 2017, and I haven't, if there's one thing I haven't done, it's drink since Anzac Day 2017. And I refuse to because it triggers me way too much. I remember not a whole lot, but there was a video of me at one stage and, you know, I had a glass of red wine in one hand, which I loved. A glass, a schooner of VB in the other. And I just tipped both of them over myself. In the middle of this pub, for God knows what reason, I don't remember. Hmm. Went to the next pub. I laid on my back. I choked on my own vomit. And someone went, all right, we've got to take it to hospital. I was like, all right, let's go. Put me in the car. I got there. And at the time, I was with some bloke that I was meant to be dating. He was a bit of a dickhead anyway. Uh, and he kept getting these phone calls and he'd sort of walk off. And I was like, where's he going? And I'd look in the waiting room and like, everyone's laughing at me. Like, I'm so drunk, blah, blah, blah. And I was sort of just wigging myself out. Anyway, he comes back over and he goes, all right, I'm going back to the pub. And I was like, what? Because I'm going back to the pub and I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And he walked up and he left me at the hospital by myself and I sat there for like a good 15, 20 minutes and I was like, I'm all alone right now. I'm drunk. I'm not mentally well. I think people are laughing at me. I was like, I can't do this. So I walked up to the triage nurse and she looked at me and she was like, oh, hi, Tiana. I said, hi. I said, I need to talk to someone before I do something stupid. And she was like, what? And just sort of looked at me a bit confused. And I was like, I need to talk to someone before I do something stupid. And then it clicked to her and she was like, oh, shit. So I sat me around the back of the nurse's station. And I remember just sitting there and I, I was crying, but I wasn't like, you couldn't see that I was physically crying. It was just tears just rolling out of my eyes. And I was ripping clumps of hair out of my head and like, just in a really bad way. And I remember there was a guy who was who'd come from jail for God knows what reason, sitting opposite me with two guards, and he looked scared shitless. And I was like, yeah, you thought you were crazy, bro. <laughs> like, just had the biggest mental breakdown of my life. Wow. Anyway, I was all alone, no friends or anything at the hospital with me. And this nurse tried to give me a sedative, and I basically just said, I'm not taking shit until someone's here with me. <laughs> 
Mm. Anyway, so I gave her my phone. She rang two of my mates and they came down and they said, here you go, take this tablet. And I was like, okay, I'll fool them. Put it in my mouth and I was trying to spit it out because I've been on a piss all day. I've been vomiting. I couldn't spit anything. I had the worst cotton mouth of my life. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I ended up sitting in a padded room with a psychiatrist and he said to me, he's like, all right, like what's, what's going on? You know, my friends are there with me. By this stage, I'm sedated as hell. And I opened up my phone and I opened up my notes app and I handed it to him and I said, this is the date and every way I've thought about killing myself for the last year. And I remember just feeling one of my mates just walk straight out of the room behind me and she didn't say anything. And he just went, all right, we need to do something. So they ended up scheduling me under the Mental Health Act and put me in the uh, mental health unit in Dubbo on suicide watch for about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sedated as hell. And then, you know, eventually I got out of got out of the mental health unit and they sent me straight to a psychologist. And I remember sitting in this woman's office and she just looks at me and goes, all right, you need to go to AA. And I thought, I'm 19. 19 years old and you want me to go to AA. And back then my mentality was, People who go to AA are usually older people, you know, who, who drink all the time and, you know, they don't, you know, they don't work and they're just always at the pub or like they have jobs and they go to work drunk and things like that. And I said to her, I said, yep, all right, I'll, I'll go past AA for you. Just perfect. I drove past AA and I physically just waved. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going past it. That's what she's asked me to do. And I thought I need to change something. So, you know, I quit alcohol for like a month and then, you know, I ended back up in this cycle. And it was just this constant cycle of, you know, it's Friday afternoon. What are we going to do? Oh, we'll go to the pub. We'll have a few beers. Next thing you know, it's 1am. You're at your local pub. You're like, shit, we've got to go home. You go home. You wake up the next day. You're feeling seedy. What are we going to do? We'll grab a pub feed. You have your pub feed and you're like, oh, we'll have one beer here. Have the dog. It'll fix us. Next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. You're at the Amaroon Dubbo, the local nightclub. The floor's sticky. You're drunk mm. as hell. They're about to close it. It's like 4 a.m. You're either going to Kikons or you're going home. You go home. You wake up the next day and you're like, it's Sunday. We're hungover. Why not? Let's have a Sunday sesh. And that is what my weekends looked like from 19 till the start of this year. Because that same repetitive pattern of just being your Friday night drinks, your Saturday Arvo, beer with lunch, to then the Amaru nightclub on a Saturday night, to then a Sunday session again at your local. And it's just this repeat pattern. So I never got Sunday scaries. Have you heard of, like, the Sunday scaries? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had them. So I never got those Sunday scaries because I was obviously still drunk. So my Sunday scaries last the entire week. Week. Because I was so, like, mentally unwell. So I would just constantly feel like absolute crack during the week. And I was like, it's Friday afternoon. I've had a long week because I was so mentally unwell. Let's get back on the grog. That's going to fix me. That's going to make me feel fun, feel happy and things like that. Just this awful repetitive pattern of someone who was so mentally unwell that just kept trying to drink to fix her problems and to hide from those emotions and that mental health. And alcohol is not the solution. Uh-uh. alcohol is more a problem and not a problem in the sense that you have a problem with alcohol. I mean, 
alcohol is a problem because it's not the solution. And I think firstly I want to say how interesting I find it that you were able to document those thoughts of ending your life. Um, like that's just a really interesting thing to think about, that you had these thoughts about potentially doing something that would end your life and instead of taking action on your thoughts, you were able to contain them or I guess express them through a written form to get them out of your system so that you didn't potentially act on them. And I think that that's, you know, a life-saving strategy. Yeah. Also, you were bold enough and brave enough to show that to someone, which is huge because that's your most um, desperate moments documented that you were able to say, here is my pain and desperation. Can you help me? And you asked for help. Yeah. And those things are, even though you still continue to drink after that, those things I think probably planted the seed of hope that got you through that vicious cycle for years and years that landed you on something's got to give here, something's got to be different, I can't keep showing up and doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So yeah. I just wanted to say that, like I'm so grateful that you're still here and that you didn't take action on those thoughts. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really glad that you were able to get the help that you needed at the time that it was right for you and ask yeah. for that help because that is a huge, a huge thing. And I think your story also demonstrates, Tiana, like you said, when you were in that emergency room and you went to see that psychiatrist, they called two of your friends. And the fact that you have two friends in your phone that came to you you know, that support thing is so important. Hey, like having one or two friends is all you need um, in those dark and scary moments. But they're the friends that when they get the call, they come and they stand by your side and maybe they can't hear what's happening, but they can stand with you. And that, again, is a part of that sort of narrative that we understand in sobriety, that you need people around you and you need to be able to be so honest with those people and share your pain in a safe place in order for you to not just have the the pain just doesn't leave that you have to go through it all and face it all but you do get to the other side of it all yeah so what do you think about that night the 11th of February in particular that was so distinctive that you didn't go back to that cycle that had become so familiar can you pinpoint it well it was sort of it wasn't just it wasn't really that night that I guess was a massive changer so I quitting alcohol was something I thought about for a really long time and I was actually so I remember ages ago I wrote a journal in my phone and was I called it sober journal day one sober 13 days and basically I wrote about my 13 like being sober on my 13th day do you want me to read it to you I would love to if you want to that's so kind of you Excuse the language and how poetic it sounds and a bit bogan, but I just said. So it's got sober journal day one, just sober 13 days. Yeah. Pre-warning, everyone. Okay. Very bogan. I love this. It starts with, fuck me, it's getting chilly. 
sitting on the beach with icy nips watching testosterone-filled teenage boys race up and down the beach. There's the cutest golden retriever and a guy sitting a couple of metres from me sinking to his new tins like the sun won't rise again tomorrow. Today was hard. I am constantly triggered by accepting what my new life will be, a life without alcohol. Will I have a personality? On one hand, it frightens me, but on the other, I can't fucking wait for my life to begin. I want to see the things that I can achieve while being sober, the money I can save, and the state of my life. My mental health is rocky at the moment, but I know it will get better. Going out tonight with Isaac. He is good that he will support me and encourage me not to drink. I'm glad I have him as a friend, and I know if tonight gets too hard and I need to go home that he won't mind. Wish me luck. So that night, I... Yeah, so I have a really good mate named Isaac, which a few people know because he has a good, very big name for himself. Anyway, Mm -hmm. he, I remember when I I quit the alcohol and I finally ended up telling him because he messaged me on this day and he said, hey, sis, what are you doing tonight? It was a Saturday. I was like, staying home. He was like, what? Why? I said, well, I've quit alcohol. I was like, I've quit drinking. He was like, and? He's like, you're still coming out with me. And I was like, I, I can't go out. Like, I'll drink. And he's like, no, you won't. He said, one, I'm not going to let you. And two, I need a ride home. And I was like, <laughs> all right, sure. And I said, I'm really nervous. And he said, I will not let you drink. And I went, oh. I said, okay. I was like, this is going to be the test for me to see mm. if I can go to a pub without ordering a beer. Anyway, we walked in the we walked into this um pub in Newcastle. He walked straight up to the bar and he turned around and looked at me. Instead of saying, What sort of drink do you want? or do you want a beer or anything? He just looked at me and goes, Do you want a lemonade? And I was like, I do. And I nearly cried because I was like, the thought the fact that he didn't even say, you know, like what sort of beer do you want or what sort of drink do you want? It was it was just straight away that thing of I'm not giving you an option. I'm asking you, do you want a lemonade? Or do you want nothing at all? They were my options. And I was like, it, it just made me feel so grateful that I was, I felt safe, yeah. you know, because I was like, this can easily go a number of different ways. Going you were safe. And you yeah. would have felt seen because you had this friend go, I got you. I got, like, if the goal is to get through this night and for you to not drink, I will stand with you and hold you accountable to that choice like I will be that friend for you so you feel seen you're safe and also zero drinks this is why I don't moderate this is why I just don't drink alcohol because zero drinks is easier yeah because you don't have to do the mental gymnastics around okay I'm gonna have two drinks tonight when am I gonna have them when I walk in the door and then in an hour and a half or do I have them back to back or do I have a water between it? Like it's so exhausting to try and like negotiate moderation for me and I yeah. think for a lot of people that it's just, it's a no. So yeah. then all of a sudden you are free because here are your choices. Have a lemonade, have a water, don't have a drink. Done. Yeah. And you don't have to exhaust yourself like, yeah, trying to just pendulum swing between all of these choices you're giving yourself by having options, it's like, no, here's the line in the sand. It's zero. And if your mate had your back in that situation, my God, I wish I had Isaac as a friend when I stopped drinking because I, my experience was, and it was nine years ago, but it was very much like there were no Isaacs around 
that it was all just people being like, why are you drinking? And just giving me a hard time. I think time, yeah. I think things are shifting definitely. Um, yeah. And the other sure. thing I wanted to say is your explanation of like growing up in Dubbo and going to the pub and weekend drinking and drinking as teenagers. I'm like, man, that was not exclusive to Dubbo, original town in New South Wales. Yeah. I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney and it was exact. We had the same childhood. Like it was, it was the same. It was just a different street name, but it was the hot, yeah. the same vibe, pressure, culture, the same binge drinking um, environments and weekend to weekend, party to party, pub to pub, house to house, fridge to fridge. So it, it's, it, I feel like my point being that sometimes environment, like the the culture in this country, is riddled with drinking. It's Massively. not just um, it's not just in regional New South Wales or like fancy northern beaches. It's everywhere, and that's to do with the people that we are, not necessarily the places that we are. And that so it's become a people problem, and we've got to shift our attitude as people to overcome this idea that drinking is going to solve all of our problems or help us feel included or make us feel like we're having more fun because it doesn't actually do any of those things long term for sure and like I I remember when I first quit alcohol I'd known a, a friend who had been sober for two years and she was very like her stories are very similar to mine and I just messaged her one day and I was like I've decided to quit alcohol I was like what do I do how do I help? And she, and she gave me a list of really good tips and um, were, I wrote them down and I've kept them for a really long time. And, you know, if I start to struggle, I read them back. And it was things like try not to put yourself in situations where you're around drinkers unless they fully support that you don't drink and you won't mm-hmm. drink. Identify why. If you don't have a reason, you'll lose your focus. Pick a really yum, yummy alternative. There's so many zero brands now and it's amazing. Keep in touch with someone who's also sober if you're struggling. Don't be hard on yourself. If you slip up, that's life. The first month is the first month is hard. The first three are euphoric. And the feels hit you after month three. So be prepared for a rapid but temporary decline in mental health. And the last thing, you owe no one an explanation. Not why you're doing it. Not if you slip up, nothing. This is your journey. And I read those and I went, I can do this. You why, can do this. Why can't I? Why can't I quit alcohol? I can do it for sure. And like, even now, if I go out, I'm very, very grateful that I've got an Isaac. But I'm also really grateful for the massive support system I have because my mates could be the drunkest people at the pub, and they will still turn around and be like, "Do you want a lemonade?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate it." So I go. I actually go out a lot more now that I'm dead sober and my mm. mates, you know, it's good for me because I know I know my mates are safe. I can still have a good time and dance because at the end of the day, no one knows I'm sober. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I go to the pub and no one knows that I'm sober because I, mm. I get my lemonade in a seven. So yeah, everyone already assumes that I'm still drinking so I can dance as horribly as I want. So my friends are safe. I'm having a good time. I'm still sober. I can also drive myself home whenever I want, which is the beautiful thing. No waiting on cabs or walking home or taxis or anything like that. But it's just good. I I think my life 
if you'd had a conversation with the Tiana from a year ago, it'd be a very different one from now. Like so much has changed since I quit drinking alcohol. Um, yeah, it's just unreal to think about. And you know, I, I, some people can drink alcohol, some people don't, and that's completely fine. But I definitely think you're right in the way that there's a massive shift in the culture of drinking in Australia. Because when I first thought about quitting it, I was like, you know, I can't go home because people will say to me, like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? Like, mm. are, you know, are you pregnant? Which, God help me. Such an annoying um, question. <laughs> like, are you pregnant? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, yeah. you're soft. Just have one or two. And I remember I went home after it'd been maybe four months of not drinking and I went back to my local. I was like, I can do this. I can stay sober. And I sat at the bar and I drank a non-alcoholic beer. They said, what are you drinking those for? And I said, I've quit alcohol. They're like, oh, like how long are you off it for? And I said, no, no, no. I've quit alcohol for life. I was like, I will never go back. And some of my locals just looked at me. And I remember one of them just stood up and walked straight over to me and just hugged me. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, whoa. I was like, thank you so much. Everyone I came across, I think in my entire nine months, there's been two people that have been like, oh, why aren't you drinking? Oh, you're soft. And then when I've told them, you know, I've quit alcohol for life for myself because I personally am one of those people that that can't drink alcohol. I I can't do it because I mask my mental health and I mask my feelings and I don't deal what's going on. And immediately after telling them that, not that I owe them that explanation, they go, oh, man, like, good on you. Like, that's such a massive achievement. Like, I wish I could do that. So I think everyone's everyone's idea about not drinking anymore has completely changed from, you know, where it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And I really think you hit the nail on the head. I, I feel like if you've ever had that thought of, God, I wish I could quit drinking, God, I wish I could do that. I have people say it to me all the time, like, oh, my God, like, I wish I could quit. And the, and we can both attest to this, is that if we can quit drinking, you can quit drinking. It yes, is yes. highly, highly possible. It's a very, it's a plausible, possible, achievable and attainable state of being and you can create the life that you want to live without alcohol and it is so doable and I know it's doable because I've done it but I only know my story as closely as I know me hearing your story is so encouraging because I'm like you I feel like you really battled hard to get here like you've you have survived a lot of mental upheaval mental health um trauma grief pain, heartbreak, and all of these things we will experience in life. You got it all like really hard when you were 19 and you battled through that stuff and now you can come at your, look at your life and come at your healing from a place of wholeness. And I just talking to you and seeing you, like you are so free when I see you. You look so um, content 
And I love that. Like it just, it, it just like bounces off you. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's really true. I I, I don't say that lightly. Like I can feel, I'm going to be all like weird and spiritual and stuff, but I can feel that from you and you just look like just freedom just is where you are. And oh my God, nine months and look at where you are. Let's talk in a year. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I can't wait to see how whatever your story is going to do, I just know it's going to help people change their relationship with alcohol. So that's one of the reasons why we battled through so many different rescheduling moments to get here and to (laughs) to share this today because it was, it's such a big story and and, and you're so, um, you're so vulnerable and you're so bold in it. So I, I really value you and appreciate your time today. Thank you for being on the podcast. That's okay. Thank you, Maz. I, um, I think I'm a really open person. Sometimes I overshare a lot and it catches people off guard, but I'd rather overshare my story and be completely open and vulnerable than have someone that's going through something very similar sit there and suffer and think that they're completely alone in this world. So thank you so much for letting me share a bit of my story and I'm definitely keen to catch up in 12 months and have a look at all the crazy stuff I do because I'm going to a festival for the first time sober. God, that's going to be wild. I know. Bloody excited, but it'll be good. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click follow so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are published every Monday. You can follow us on TikTok at Last Drinks or catch up with me on Instagram at Maz Compton. Stay curious. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.